How do I know what I think until I see what I say? The Green Notebook, carried by military leaders around the world. Within those pages are sweat, tears, triumphs, and the hard-won lessons of life. Lessons worth sharing. Each week, the team dives into the notebooks of military leaders, business professionals, authors, athletes and coaches, and entertainers to share lessons and help you lead with the best version of yourself. Today's episode sponsor is Adaton. I got to know the Adaton co-founders, James and JJ, several years ago. They're former Army NCOs who spent years in tech. They know the job firsthand, and they truly listen to service members to learn about today's critical challenges. The Army has always been about the team. Whether in the field, at the motor pool, or wherever they work, troops must collaborate to accomplish their mission. Today, this mission is even more challenging as it extends over wider areas and requires greater information management. Leaders understand that the commander's intent is key to winning in complex environments, and this is where Adaton's flagship product, Muster, spelled M-U-S-T-R, comes into play. Muster is a tool that enables commanders to communicate their intent and connect it with action across a distributed formation. Whether you're preparing for an exercise, supporting sponsorship, or coordinating daily operations, Muster serves as a digital knife hand that simplifies complexity. If you're interested in leveraging Muster or learning about what other units are doing with it, reach out to Adaton. For a limited time, listeners of the From the Green Notebook podcast can try out Muster for free. Visit adaton.io forward slash green notebook to get started. That's A-D-Y-T-O-N dot I-O slash green notebook. Welcome to another episode of From the Green Notebook. I'm your host, Joe Byerly, and this week we're diving into the notebook of Army Colonel Dave Butler. Colonel Butler is a communications expert and is currently the strategic advisor for communications and outreach to the Chief of Staff of the Army, General Randy George. In this episode, Dave shares lessons from his decades of communications experience working in the special operations community and war zones, as well as being the spokesman for the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs. In this conversation, we tackle the delicate dance military leaders must perform on social media, navigating the fine line between engagement and overexposure. We'll explore the implications for leaders when internal communications spill into the public domain, unpack the value of relationships in public affairs, and the importance of aligning messages within the vast ecosystem of an organization like the Army. Colonel Butler shares some funny stories like the time he got an unexpected Twitter skirmish with the Taliban. And I'll share my own reflections on online discussions and the wisdom of a cooling off period before hitting reply. This episode is full of wisdom for those who are leading in today's information landscape with all of its risk and opportunities. So grab your green notebooks and please welcome to the show, Colonel Dave Butler. Hey, Joe, good to see you, man. Dave, welcome to the show. For those that aren't familiar with you, and what you do. Could you explain that just a little bit? Yeah, sure. So glad to be here. And I am recently the strategic advisor for communications and outreach. We made that title up to uh, the chief of staff of the army. So I don't know, I've been here for just a couple of months, maybe not even, but 
General George asked me to come on and, uh, you know, help him through the first uh, year or so of his tenure here. And knowing General George and the kind of guy he is, I was eager to sign up and become part of the team. That's great. And your past work, what's uh, some of the highlights from your 20 plus year career in the Army? Yeah, man, it's been a whirlwind. So it's funny you ask because I just got done talking to all of the uh, public affairs officer students at the Defense Information School. And I really no reason to be up in front of them, except I've been lucky to have a great deal of experience in um, mostly operational, but also domestic political communications and public affairs. Before this gig, I just got done working with uh, General Milley as the chairman of Joint Chiefs Staff. I was his public affairs officer there. Man, if you paid attention to the news, you know, that was a whirlwind of politics and much unrest and instability throughout the world that we were dealing with on a consistent basis. So what a learning experience that was. Before that, you know, we we worked together in special operations units. We worked together in Afghanistan. So I was the PAO at JSOC and then General Miller asked me to come on and uh, be his guy in Afghanistan until I went off to war college. Well, Dave, for the folks that are unfamiliar with the the role of the public affairs officer, and I'm sure just like any position in the military or in the corporate world, you have good and bad. And so I think, you know, a lot of times the people's run-ins with ones that aren't so great kind of, you know, taint their image of of what a public affairs officer does. So what, what does a public affairs officer do? I've been asking myself the same question. (laughs) I mean, you're right, man. People have all kinds of different opinions about public affairs officers, you know, in terms of quality, in terms of quality of the branch, and then also in terms of what they should be doing. I work very hard to be close to and in sync with the boss, whoever that is. And I, you know, kind of listen to his cues and listen to where the organization is going and then I use communication and through a variety of means to help the organization get there. You know, overall, the reason that the military has public affairs folks is one, for deterrence, right? Let's not forget that the Department of Defense is about defending this country. In deterrence theory, I think it goes that you, you have to have the capability to do something. You should have irrational actors and you have to communicate that capability. And so, that's where we come in is uh, communicating the capability and will to act. And then on the domestic side, you know, we our military needs resources. We need support of the American people. We need the authority to act in, in defense of our nation. So I believe that public affairs officers play a key role in communicating to the American people so that we, we get those three things so that we can continue to defend this country. I want to deep dive on a couple of the things that you addressed in there. And I guess the first thing is, you know, we're, we're talking about communications and, you know, the information space. How important is that for a leader to be aware and to interact in that space? It's a good question, man. And, and two separate things, right? So be aware is essentially important, right? So leaders especially, you know, depending on what level you're talking about, but really anybody have to be able to make decisions in context. And so 
you know, you as a squadron commander, the decision making you do and the orders you get and the missions that you guys are charged with accomplishing, you have to understand that in context. And the way you get context is by understanding what's in the news, understanding what's going on in the world. And, you know, you, you don't get everything through SIPR uh, or TS. You get a lot of it through the information environment, often much faster, not always super accurate, but then again, either is intelligence. In terms of interacting with the information space, now that is, that's the difficult question. And I think we've ebbed and flowed even over the past few years of leaders getting very, very involved in the information space, especially domestically. And, um, you know, kind of the norm, I think, is leaders not to be involved in the information space. And I just say this, it's, it's not about whether or not you do or don't get involved. It's purposeful involvement. And that's really the key. It's when you choose to communicate publicly or, or you know, in the information space, as you put it, it's got to have a tangible purpose wrapped around it. You know, I laid out the two purposes that we have public affairs officers in the beginning in, in terms of deterrence and what we need from the American people. But oftentimes we have leaders that and public affairs officers, too, that want to interact in the information space because they want to interact in the information space. And that's, you know, wrong. And that's an easy way to get in trouble, too. Yeah. You know, I've been very active on social media over the years. And and I remember when I was a much younger leader, I guess it was just discovering it. And it's around 2012, 2013. And uh, I don't know, I, I felt this like rush every time I was posting stuff and I was gauging in conversations with with every single person. And and I think like as I've gotten older, one, I, I've seen it go south several times, but but I've also learned a lot. And I think as a society, we know now that there have been studies that have been conducted that have found neurological links between social media and our brains. You know, they found the effects that the social media affects multiple parts of our brain from reward processing to social cognition to imitation and attention. And so I think sometimes we think we're in control, but we're not in control. And so, you know, we'll feel that urge to get more likes, to get more follows, to get more you know, retweets. And I think, you know, subconscious kind of takes over in those moments. And that, and that's where I think it's very easy for us to step into something. Very well put. I, I've seen too many good leaders go down, so to speak, because of that. You know, I get it. Interacting with soldiers in the public, you know, they consider social media to be a venue. Sure. And then you can watch it just simply get out of control. And the thing is, we will always lose, right? So general officers, flag officers have a glass jaw, as I put it. I try to explain this to them. They'll never be more witty. They'll never be more rational. They'll never be more, you know, good at making their points on social media. They will lose. And so there's no winning in terms of getting into scraps on social media. And unfortunately, nowadays, and I don't mean to sound like an old man, but nowadays, you know, it's it's a cesspool. It's the negativity, the, the bad stuff rises to the top, I think by design. And uh, more often than not, 
military leaders who get active on social media get wrapped into that in some way, shape, or form. And it's a lose-lose because when you do address, somebody calls you a jerk and you address, hey, I'm not a jerk. And then, you know, say something back, you're going down a, a, a bad road. And when you don't address it, oh, look, that guy just got called a jerk and he didn't say anything about it. And uh, so you lose you lose on both sides and it's it's a tough place to be. You know, one of the things we're trying to do in, in the army now is re-empower the chain of command, right? So instead of uh, anybody from the Pentagon tweeting to your your team down there, Joe, and tell them what the latest army policy is, they're trying to sort out a problem that they're having with their leave. We're trying to put our trust and confidence in you, just like the military works, and let you guys sort it out. Let your non-commissioned officers sort it out. Let your junior officers sort it out. And you guys come to a conclusion with your formations. I think that's great, Dave. And I I definitely don't want to sound like I'm on a, a soapbox with it because I'm, I'm definitely not. <laughs> There's a great quote by Jay-Z in his, uh, his memoir. He says, like, I'm not telling it to you from a soapbox. I'm telling you to you from the front seat of a Mazda going too fast with a trunk full of trouble. And uh, yeah, like I've gotten sucked into it before where I've read a comment online, I've responded and I've jumped into a discussion. And like you said, it's kind of geared to trigger that within us. So then we do wade in and we, we stay on the platform longer. So, you know, just again, speaking for myself, you know, when I get angry about something, I ask myself, why am I really posting this angry comment? What am I solving by jumping into the fray? Like you mentioned earlier, you're not going to change somebody's mind by calling them out by, uh, you know, a lot of times by, by logic. And then what are the possible ramifications once I hit sin? Like the best advice I ever got, and this is this is email, but I think it's even more relevant to social media. If it feels good to hit send or post, then maybe you should just wait, have a cooling off period for 24 hours before you actually do anything about it. Yeah, so smart, so good. This is a couple of funny stories. Not one, not funny. You know, we were together in Afghanistan, but I don't think you you got there a little bit after I did, right? And um you know, the team I had that went over there with General Miller, we were excited and we wanted to be a part of the narrative and we wanted to get involved in the information space. So even the first night I was there, something lit off and the Taliban, you know, they were all over Twitter and they jumped in and they said, uh, you know, we killed all these Americans, we killed all these Afghan security forces. And, you know, I had a pretty big handle. Right. So I jumped in there and I thought I was I thought I was kind of a one shot, one kill. And I responded to him and said, hey, man, you're just killing Afghans. And those are your people. And the sooner that we can get to the negotiating table, the sooner we can be all done with this fighting. Right. And I, I was like real proud of myself as the new Afghan spokesman. I'm going to jump in there. And the Taliban dude, Zabahula, responded and he was like, yeah, we want to go to the negotiation table and we're waiting for you. 
I threw the phone on the floor. Now what? I was like, oh, now what? <laughs> I didn't think one step ahead there. But it actually, uh, in very purposeful, again, I keep using that word, very purposeful, pointed ways, we did use social media there for, I think, what was probably the right way. And we had to learn, you know, through that. But I think we ended up calming some of the the negative narrative that was we were working against there. But that's just that's one isolated solution. But to your point, I remember sitting at Duke for War College and you know we were I think we were still doing uh, Max Disclosure back then, our website for public affairs advice. And some some guy uh responded, had something kind of nasty to say, whatever. That's fine. On Twitter. And I responded back and then he responded. Then I responded back. I'm sitting, the army gave me a gift, right? Sent me to Duke for war college. I'm sitting in a class in Duke, arguing with this Yahoo. I'm so fueled and like upset about the whole situation. And I walked out of that class, wasting, you know, the, the precious hours that we had there. And I said to myself, that's it, man. I'm, I'm not ever doing that again. That was such a waste of time, such a waste of effort, such a waste of emotional energy. Anyway, now are we on a soapbox or I'll, I'll get off? <laughs> no, I think we're I think we're in the trust tree, just sharing. I mean, that's your Duke University experience. You know, for me, I remember times during COVID when I wasn't at work, I was hanging out with my family, and uh, I would just be sitting on the couch scrolling through Twitter, and all of a sudden, I would read something that would make me mad, and I'd want to jump in. And uh, I would just sit there and probably waste, you know, 10, 15 minutes thinking of a, a witty response to it. And, um, you know, there I am spending precious time with my family. And as you know, in the military, time at home is precious. And here I am doing the exact same thing that you were just talking about for nothing. So I think to kind of start going down a, a philosophical rabbit hole here. I think it's, it's just important to be aware and making sure that like if you are jumping online especially as a leader of an organization that you're doing it from a place of purpose and not allowing your emotions your ego all that stuff to drive your social media you got it man and and from a public affairs person perspective there's a lot of momentum towards uh, using social media, right? We can count the number of likes, we can count engagements, whatever that means. And so I just say from, you know, being a communicator in the military, we just have to guard against that and teach our leaders that the way we communicate through any venue, social media, the podium to a group of people, whatever, it has got to be tied to a purpose. And um, we have to do it deliberately and uh, with some forethought. I keep going back to this interview I had like two summers ago. It was with Arthur Brooks, amazing, amazing thinker, and uh, I would say a, a modern day philosopher. And one of the things that, that he was talking about, because he was uh, the president of a major think tank for a decade in DC, you know, so he has been in leadership roles. And he was just talking about how, as a leader, you're the most objectified person in the organization. So, you know, when we were jumping on social media, even though like for me, it's me tweeting or posting as, as Joe Byerly, in reality, I'm representing something else. 
And I have to be very mindful of that when doing so, because I am, I am objectified. I am whatever position I'm in with my glass jaw and just have to be cognizant of that. Yeah, man, you're exactly right. To put a little disclaimer anywhere on social media, your blog or whatever to say, these aren't the views of the military, especially for a public affairs officer who's a trained spokesperson. It's fake. I am. I'm a spokesperson uh, 24-7, my friend. (laughs) Well, I want to ask you, because I, I know this is on the mind of a lot of leaders too, especially at the tactical level, is, you know, a lot of times folks will come out with a policy, a memorandum, you know, something for their internal to their organization, or even send out an email. And then all of a sudden, you see that it ends up online. And the trolls are going after you, or you know, it, it's gotten even bigger, and it's a story in a major newspaper. I guess what what advice would you give to folks before they publish something, before they actually, you know, put themselves out there? And then the, the follow up to that is, what do you do when that does happen? When uh, you know the, the policy, the email, whatever jumps the rail, so to speak, and ends up online in not a good way, not a good way. Yeah. So this just happened, right? I don't know if you're referring to uh, this recently happened with a, a battalion commander, maybe a squadron commander, 05 level leader who put out a, a memorandum about PT. And you know, his, the point of his memorandum was to kind of block off PT hours, right? He didn't want people going to appointments or otherwise during PT hours from 6.30 to 8. He wants his, his organization focused on doing PT. And um, I don't think anybody would argue with, with that at face value. But it got out on social media. And then eventually military.com did an article about it. And, um, you know, they did leave off some key points where he said there are exceptions to this. And you know, he tried to be nuanced in the memorandum. So I'm not really answering your question because this guy, unfortunately, had a uh, very difficult situation to deal with. Luckily, we have, and I'm, I'm talking about right now, I can't, you know, talk about past couple of years, I don't know, because I've been immersed in operations. But in the Army today, we have caring, empathetic, understanding leaders at the very top and down in the very senior, in in the senior four-star ranks. And so, you know, our folks were able to look at this memo and see what the guy was trying to do and said, you know what, instead of us going out into the press and making some, you know, boilerplate comment about how we don't endorse this memo or whatever, we stood behind the guy. I personally reached out to the battalion commander I said, hey, man, don't worry about it. We got your back. And um, the division made a statement that said, you know, we we do like people to do PT during PT hours, basically. And um, I think in this case, we did all we could to stand behind the guy. Was it the best memo in the world? No, but I mean, do any of us write the best memo in the world? It's unfortunate that somebody's going to send that to, you know, Army WTF moments or whatever, because because it is an air of unfairness in there or whatever. This guy just wanted his formation to be doing PT. 
hats off to him. I want my formation. I want to be doing PT from 638 to my friend. Yeah. You know, one of the things for me, especially as I've come up in the ranks is that I was not empathetic when I was a junior leader. (laughs) I didn't give my leaders a lot of grace. So I'm publicly apologizing right now. And I, I realize now that there is a tremendous amount of pressure and you want to do it right. And you're trying to think through, you know, all the ways in which something could go wrong. And I realize now that that's just, you know, it's the environment that we're all of us. Like, I I think regardless of whether you're in corporate America or in the military, it's the environment that we're leading in. It really is a glass house. And and sometimes your mistakes are going to get amplified like that. And it's it's refreshing to hear too that that all of you had had his back and didn't just leave him out there because I I didn't hear that part of it. Yeah, yeah, that's important for your listeners and and for everybody in the army. Our folks here today, all the four stars I know actually will stand behind a person trying to do the right thing. But you're exactly right. You got to understand your environment. There's a another brief example on the Air Force side, uh, General Minahan who put out, do you remember this memo? It was probably a year ago now, um, really direct and wants his organization to get trained up. And he said something like, you know, we're going to train train our, you know, on our pistols and double tap everybody in the face. And like, it was really like aggressive, kill them all a God sort of mouth type of thing. And that went out public and immediately viral. And as a joint staff public affairs officer, my phone blew up. You know, does this chairman agree with this? Is this the position of the, the DOT? And that would be an example. And I think, by the way, I think humbly, I think this general is actually a really, really good guy. And he's he's a leader in innovation and he's really trying to do the right thing. But that memo is an example of not really understanding your environment. And it's a little bit different when you're wearing stars too, because you're a strategic communicator at that point. Yeah. Again, it's uh, it's definitely a very challenging, complex environment, but it's not the one we necessarily want it to be, but it's the one that we're leading in. And I want to go back to the beginning. I said there were two things. The other thing you mentioned General Miller and you know you and I have talked a lot. I think we could fill up a couple of notebooks of key sayings and and wisdom that that he passed on to us or that we witnessed in action. And one of the things that he used to talk about, he used to say that relationships are non-transactional. I knew um, you were going to bring that one up. That's my favorite. <laughs> one. <laughs> so, so what is it what does that mean to you? Um, well, it's close to home, my friend, because uh, my business is all about relationships. I spend a lot of time talking to folks. I have relationships that I value quite a bit from the tops of the media agencies all the way down to the tactical level of reporters. I try to keep relationships throughout throughout the Army staff and uh, throughout the small team staff that I'm in. And then just across the army, you know, these guys we grew up with, so to speak, the guys we served in Afghanistan, now we're all in charge of the army, right? The the staff, General Miller's staff there are now the folks in charge of the army. And um, I value those relationships so much, right? And they, at the position I'm in, luckily, 
these folks reach out to me on the army side. These folks reach out to me for public affairs advice all the time for communications advice all the time. And I, um, you know, honored to, to take their calls and to try to help out where I can. And then on the media side, what it means to me, I guess, Joe, to answer your question is that I'm not looking for a payback or I don't expect something out of this. And people will tell you that part of the game here is, you know, you give the media access and then therefore they'll give you a, a, a more fair story or you give the media access and then you get to uh, negotiate with what with them what's in the story. And although those two things might be true, that's not why you have a relationship with them. You have a relationship with them because, you know, we're all in the same kind of genre here. We're all human beings. We're all trying to work together. All these folks have their heart in the right place. And people always ask me, you know, there's there's plenty of people in D.C. that aren't necessarily uh, reporters. They're not necessarily leaders. They're just like, have you read the book This Town? You know, they're just kind of D.C. people, information brokers or whatever. And I have relationships with plenty of them. But I only keep the relationships with the people that I think their intentions are good and our our hearts are aligned, so to speak. That might be a little idealistic, but that's kind of how I see it. This interview, it's going off the rails a little bit. <laughs> you know, it's it's different because I think we're we're both talking about personal experiences. And as you were talking, you're talking about relationships and you're talking about you know good people. You know, I, I think about Haley Britsky. You know, like like we've I just talked to her. Like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> we watched Haley come up and, you know, I, I've gotten to know her over the years and she is like somebody who values what she does. Like she looks at being a journalist as a profession. And again, it's about relationships and she's one of the, one of the great ones up there. And I think she's going to be around for a while. Yeah, she's great. She's great. And, and I, I did actually just talk to her on uh, some issue and when I pick up the phone, she knows that she can have a trusted conversation with me. I'm going to be honest with her. I'm not going to spin her. I'm going to tell her what I can talk about and what I can't talk about and provide her the necessary context and background that, you know, I think is dutiful for my, my job. And it's the same of my expectation for her. I think that when she goes to report, she's going to do it with as much information as she can. She's going to try to do it fairly and she's going to try to do it from a perspective where she's informing, not uh, influencing her audience. She's a, a great example of, of somebody. And we've had plenty of disagreements in the past. And actually, uh, recently, you know, I, I sat down with them on, they were doing a profile piece on General Milley and um, I didn't like the story. And I told her as much. And uh, because we have a, a personal relationship, so to speak, we got past that pretty quick. We can agree to disagree. We're both uh, both professionals and both colleagues. Yeah, we'll, we'll shift gears. Love you, Haley. <laughs> yeah, like we you know we're, we're talking about communication in the public, and I'm really interested too on what you've learned about communicating down and in. Again, going back. To General Miller, I've got my I've got my little three by five moleskin here, and one of the things that I remember him saying is, is every organization has blinks, and and what he means by blinks is when we're talking uh, ISR, 
assets, a lot of times, you know, bad weather, for whatever reason, you know, you're, you're watching an objective and all of a sudden you have a, a gap in your coverage and those are called blinks. And so he'd said, every organization has blinks, little disconnects that create misalignment and, and communication is key. It's how you align the organization. So what have you learned over the years about, about communicating down and in? Man, that's a good one. I don't, did not have that one in my uh, book of Millerisms. The other thing he said, and this is, addresses those blinks, is uh, once you think you've communicated enough, communicate again, and then communicate again. And one thing I'm seeing is, as uh, General George attempts to you know, transform the Army, General George and Secretary, I should say, they're on an ambitious attempt to improve, transform, transforming contact, prepare the army for the future and for now actually so there's a funny story actually yeah you were there he, you know he just talked about some a lot of the stuff he was doing right and and you heard that i'm sure you thought it was very interesting right of course say yes joe yes yes of course dave yes yeah, 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 yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then somebody uh very senior came up to him and said sir that was great i never heard that before and he was, you know, he was taken back because he said it, he thinks, right? He's, it's, this is part of his stump speech. He said it probably a hundred times. But the fact is that everybody's got a lot going on. You know, as much as you communicate, the audience isn't, they're only receiving a certain percentage of that. And you just have to say it again and again and again, using examples, making it personal to the people that you work with. And um, that I think can satisfy some of the blinks. That's a great example. You know, one of the books I just read, I just finished it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a Sergeant Major recommended it to me. It's my new favorite book. I know that I say that a lot, Dave, but uh, this one I think speaks to culture. It's called What You Do Is Who You Are. And I've been, you know, just I'm like looking through my highlights right now and I just have pages and pages of highlights. And we'll go back to the example you just shared of General George. You know, he said this line, you know, hundreds of times and there's still people that haven't heard it. In this book I read, it says culture only works if the leader visibly participates in and vocally champions it. And again, the book is What You Do Is, is Who You Are by Ben Horowitz. And I think you're seeing that right now with General George and the stuff that I'm helping with the the professional writing piece, the professional discourse. I mean, we're publishing articles. You've got the Harding Project. But I think for any leader at any level, you know, being a, a visible participant in that is such a key to the communication so that the the visual matches the audio. Yeah, so true, man. And you know, our, our most limited resource is time. If you're in charge of the army, it's not just uh, communicating here at the Pentagon, right? You've got you've to communicate all throughout the globe and to soldiers at every level. And that's something that we're constantly weighing is what trips are we taking? What venues are we, gonna, are we giving him to communicate to continue to further uh, some of these initiatives that him and the secretary are trying to champion right now. There is a lot of time to spend in DC, to be clear. Policies made here, right? And 
you know, we get our resources from the folks here, but um, we've got to also have the organization behind us and supportive of, of it. And so therefore we've got to, we've got to get out. I uh, long for the days of uh, like squadron command where, you know, you could walk around and see your companies, right. And talk to them about what's going on and formations. What a beautiful way to communicate. Over the last four years, I've developed a morning ritual of reading, writing, and reflection. But before I do any of that, I brew a hot cup of my favorite coffee, Alpha Coffee. They make premium 100% Arabica coffee, and Alpha has some of my favorite blends. They have Dawn Patrol, which is a nice medium light breakfast blend. I also enjoy Charlie Don't Surf, which is a medium Kona blend. And when I go to the field for training, Alpha comes with me because they also make K-Cups and they make instant coffee too. You've got to try their Seven Summits instant coffee. Not only do they have great coffee, they're a great veteran-owned business who has shipped over 22,000 bags of coffee to deploy troops. They also offer a 10% discount to members of the military and first responders. You can find a link to their website in the show notes, so go check them out and make Alpha Coffee part of your morning ritual and taste the Alpha difference. Well, Dave, you served on staffs at multiple levels. What are some of the key lessons that you've learned, you know, good or bad, about, you know, what makes a good staff officer? The first thing and and uh, probably the main thing is uh, time. I just thought, I just said time is our only limited resource. Man, I see a lot of staff officers wasting time, one, in terms of doing things that aren't aligned with uh, what the commander wants or needs just because, you know, it's something that they think they have to do for whatever reason. But being able to communicate in a succinct and efficient way in order to get a decision or in order to inform a boss, and I think, you know, in a nutshell, isn't that what staffs do? That is one of the key things a staff officer can do. I hope that nobody will ever accuse me of wasting anybody's time. I'm long-winded on this uh, on this podcast here, and I I should also address Joe that several podcasts now you've said that this thing's going off the rails. So it's not just me, buddy. It's uh, you know, there's <laughs> just one common denominator. <laughs> I'm not a good host. I'm not a good host. I'm figuring this stuff out, Dave. Give me some grace. <laughs> hey, maybe that's what's good about it, though. You know, what yeah. I mean? You just let it go where it goes. So it is all about the clear and effective communication, especially at this level and, and, you know, senior, senior levels. You see a lot of staff officers that just kind of want to be around the boss and be with the boss. I always tell my guys, you don't ever want to be around the boss. You want the boss to want you to be around. And so the ability to communicate clearly, succinctly for decision or for information without wasting anybody's time is a key, key thing for a staff officer. Plenty of books to read about that, right? Joe McCormick's uh, <laughs> brief talking about the levels of detail. I don't know where he heard that from, but wherever he heard that from is a genius, you know, level one, two, and three detail and just getting rid of all the extraneous details. What I often see, which is difficult, there's the personal staff and kind of the core group that get what the boss wants and you know you've been part of that core group before i certainly have and 
there's sometimes a disconnect when you're in the core group and you hear it. And this goes back to the communication over and over again. You hear it so often, you get it. And you know where the boss wants to take the organization. But the staff, like the, you know, the regular staff, so to speak, they're not in there all the time. They're not always hearing it all the time. And so they're still going off and doing the kind of traditional staff work that may or may not be aligned with with what the boss does. And so I uh, always say it's on the boss to uh, get everybody together and, and help them all understand so we can all give way together. That was a long answer. I don't know if it was good, though. It was a good answer. And I, I'll say it again. Everything that I'm talking about, I've learned the hard way. I've never come out the gate doing anything right. And then even after learning something the hard way, I still mess up. But yeah, it's like you be there when the boss needs you. Get out of their way when they don't. And then help communicate the priorities to everybody else in the organization. Help promote those priorities. Because like you said, you are the person that's around them. You hear the same things. You've heard General George give his his talk on the profession and his four priorities hundreds of times. So like, you know, what are you doing to help communicate those priorities? And then therefore helping free up some of that trap capacity in the organization that's working on things that, you know, maybe, maybe don't align to those priorities. Yeah. So true, man. Yeah. It's funny that you say that you messed it up a couple of times before you figure it out. I can certainly uh, speak to that. But, you know, I think, especially on public affairs side, people think that they have to be always available and always kind of like within earshot or eyesight of the boss. And that's certainly not it. You want to be in a functional way available to the boss. And so whether it's, you know, me doing this podcast or uh, me talking to the public affairs officers, I go back to purposeful communication and I try to determine, am I aligned with the purpose here? Am I accomplishing a, a deed that is in keeping with where the boss wants to take the army? And I do it like that and try to take myself out of it. But um, I love it when Millie used to say, the staff had a joke about it, actually. It was, where's Dave? Where's Dave? And so, like, you kind of want, you leave him wanting more, as they say in Hollywood, right? Right. You want him wanting your presence and your advice and everything. Not like, why is Dave always here? But you do hear you do hear uh, bosses say that about people sometimes, right? Like, why is that guy always here? Yeah, doesn't he have work to do? <laughs> it goes back to like you were saying a few minutes ago. You know, being useful, and I, I think it's just an important part of the staff. I used to, when again, I had a lot of wrong thoughts when I was a younger leader about people on staff. I didn't want to do it. I didn't understand the importance of that role, and and I think. Now more than ever, I, I realize the best way for an organization to be effective is to have an effective staff. And that, that takes every single member of the team to be moving in the same direction. So that's key. Well, Dave, over the years, you and I, we've had so many book discussions. You once had a library in your office. I used to come check out any books you'd want to highlight specifically on, on communications. Yeah, sure. I mean, I love me some Eric Desenal. I co-opted the term glass jaw 
but he talks about you know the idea of a glass straw not in terms of military leadership but but it applies so well there's a he's got a book out called glass straw he's actually got a substack too now that i've been uh following you know seth godin is a communications genius i think you've had him on and yeah. um joe mccormick of course i think he's gonna have a new book coming out here not before too long anyway this is like for nerds but i I read books about the industry, right? So right now I'm reading uh, The Times by uh, Adam Negroni, just basically the history of the New York Times, or as some would call her, the paper record, or the old gray lady, or the kingdom and the power, the New York Times. And then um, I uh, just finished a book on the Washington Post by the Washington Post editor by Marty Barron. So that's all that's all nerd read though, because I think good public affairs officers are in touch with the industry. They understand how the industry work. You know, that they, they not only understand journalism and media, but the industry behind that as well. If I had one book, I would say go go to Desen Hall. I have not heard of that before, so I'm adding it to my list. I have a couple I guess I could say like information space type books. There's one that you recommended to me a long time ago, which was Trust Me, I'm Lying by Ryan Holiday. I think it was his first book. And I think that's a really good book to just understand how the information space can be manipulated and how some people take advantage of it. Again, going back to understanding the context in which we're working in, which we're leading in. A couple that I've added I'm just curious if you've heard them. I, I haven't ordered them yet. They're in my wish list. Is uh, The Father of Spin, Edward Bernays by Larry Ty. Oh, I don't know it. I'm going to check it out. Yeah. You know, Bernays was this ruthless promoter. And, he, you know, he was the one that increased people smoking cigarettes. I think you remember the the famous. Uh, oh, yeah. It was, yeah, it was like a Thanksgiving march or something in, in New York City. He was working for the tobacco industry trying to get women to smoke cigarettes, to smoke outside. And so he had uh, he had it staged where women were lighting up and they were the article talked about torches of freedom. And that, that led to a sharp jump in the number of women smoking outside. He was working for the book industry at one point, went as far as like book sales were down and, and went as far as to get home builders to start putting built-in bookshelves into houses so people would start filling them with books. Um, Nicely done. That's genius. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. a companion book would be uh, "Thank You for Smoking" by Buckley. Okay. It's uh, not nearly as serious as a. Uh, it's funny book, but it's it's all about how they propped up a bunch of different things to to keep the cigarette industry for going. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out. Another one I have is "Ogilvy on Advertising" by uh, David Ogilvy, a guy with way more ethics than Bernays, but those are some things that I have sitting in my Amazon wish list right now. And I will now be adding the ones that, that you just talked about. That's great. And credit to you for keeping them on your Amazon wish list and not just stacking them up on your nightstand. Like uh, I have so many books right now. No, those are just those particular books, Dave. I'm looking at my bookshelf right, right now right. <laughs> and it's, it's grown uh, to the point where I, I think I've got I've read maybe 60% of them, 40% I haven't, and I, I just keep buying more. So, um, Renee's would be proud. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. 
I tell you what, man, you burned through some books. You must be a very fast reader. And I know you have a, a formula like uh, Ryan Holiday does to pull out of that. I, I envy that and I want to get better at that. I read a decent amount of books, but I read slow and I don't take it all in very well. And so I wish you could be better at that. Well, there's a couple of things. So you mentioned Seth Godin earlier. He's got another quote from his latest book, The Song of Significance, which I have just, you know, I've memorized. And it's, uh, you don't need more time. Uh, you only need to decide. That was one of the, the quotes from that book. And so for me, I prioritize reading. I'm, I'm just a naturally curious person. I love learning. I love learning about new things. And then doing the podcast now, if a guest comes on who wrote a book, like I want to read you know, everything that they wrote so I can be prepared for it. And then at the monthly email re reading list that I, I push out, well, I'm like, I have to have like two or three books for that, that I want to share with people. And so that's like, you know, forcing function for me to keep it going. But, you know, I think I'm up to like four or five books right now at the same time. And what I do is I'll start reading one, like I'm reading uh, Thinking in Bets right now by Annie Duke. And if I start finding my brain wandering, you know, I'm not thinking, you know, like I'm starting to, my mind's starting to wonder, I'm starting to think about other things. And then I'll switch over to The Year of the Locust by, by Terry Hayes, which I'm reading an advanced copy. It's, it's coming out. Both Annie and Terry are coming on the podcast. And then, you know, maybe I'll switch over to like Mythos or Heroes about, about Greek mythology and then switch over to something completely different. So I, I may read... 30 minutes, but in that 30 minute chunk, I may read four or five books switching like I'd be switching the channels. It takes me a little bit longer to read, but I usually finish about, you know, three, four books at the same time. And then I'll just, I'll just start three or four more. I'm sure it's not healthy. And I'm sure there's like some sort of psychological condition that I haven't addressed yet. And I will at some point, but yeah, it's been, it's been a great way to, uh, to maximize learning for me. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, I appreciate those emails and I appreciate you, you sharing that, you know, it's tough because I listen to your podcast on the weekend and uh, I listen to Holiday and, you know, a couple others and there's always good book recommendations. And so the package shows up at my door and my <laughs> wife says, uh, she calls me E-Bear. It's Berenstain Bears speaking of books and the mom, <laughs> Berenstain mom, whatever her name is had a problem. She was ordering a lot from eBear. And so now every time a package shows up, my wife says, eBear, your package is here because uh, I'm ordering too many books and putting them on my nightstand. Oh, man. I get through some of them, though. I get through some of them. Yeah, Dave, well, I, I appreciate your time, man. This was awesome. We've known each other now since 17. It's been, it's been awesome. We keep showing up in the same places you know, what, what I'm learning is a lot of it's the same drunks, just different bars. And it's awesome, man. It's been awesome to work with you. Just watch watch what you've done. I've definitely learned from you, especially when it, when it comes to engaging in the information space. You know, learning from you, Randy Farrell, Sonny Leggett. And so uh, just super fortunate to have had the chance to serve with you and, and still learn from you, especially this this last hour. No, well, Joe, you're too kind on a couple of things. One, uh, it's been great to hang out with you, my friend. And, uh, you know, I feel like we stay in good touch because I'm reading all your stuff. So, uh, and listen to the podcast. But yeah, that's a great example of when you were working for General Donahue and um, whatever the topic was, you reached out and 
you know, just old friends uh, talking about like the best way to communicate through something. That was great. And uh, thanks for doing that. Also, thanks for putting me on the same uh, or at least in the same conversation as uh, the greats like Sonny Leggett and uh, Randy. So there are some good communicators in our military and those are two excellent ones. So thanks for thanks for putting me in the same sentence there, man. <laughs> You're welcome, Dave. So one final shot, man. What's one lesson, one takeaway as we wind this interview down that, that you'd like for our listeners to to walk away with? Well, I mean, if there's one thing, if there's one thing, Joe, it's purposeful communication. Communicate less with greater purpose and greater accuracy. I'm sitting here, you know, waving my hands around uh, at my desk. Just I uh, cannot be more emphatic about, please, there's no reason to uh, go out on social media. There's no reason to write a memo. There's no reason to address a group of people without a specific purpose in mind and do it efficiently and then get out of there and then do it again in a different venue. So purposeful communication is the one thing I want uh, every Green Notebook listener to walk away with. Think about the purpose and then communicate, my friend. Awesome. Well, again, Dave, thank you so much for your time. This is awesome. And I look forward to sharing this episode. Thanks for having me on, man. I really look forward to uh, the grievous edits you're going to do on this thing. I mean, I know it's going to be heavy, heavy editing. So. Or the fallout. Or the fallout. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you, buddy. Thank you again for listening to another episode of From the Green Notebook Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us gain visibility and the opportunity to help more people on their leadership journey. Also, make sure you check out our website at www.fromthegreennotebook.com. There, you can listen to past episodes, read leadership articles written by military leaders from around the world, You can sign up for our monthly reading list email where you can learn about new books that are coming out and our Sunday reflection email that comes out every Sunday morning is really short. It's a two minute read, but I guarantee you it's going to start your week off on the right foot. Finally, make sure you follow us on Twitter at FTG notebook, and you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for from the green notebook. Again, thank you so much for coming on this journey with us. I am humbled by the opportunity to learn these lessons alongside you. So please join us next week for another episode of From the Green Notebook, where we're going to help you lead with the best version of yourself. I came from the mud.